Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This show is for veterans, first responders, and their families, and honestly, for anybody who wants to recover from trauma. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Our vision is of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please help with this mission by following and rating this show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This simple action will help others find help for PTS injuries. Your help in promoting this podcast could be saving a life. And we are rolling live in studio, which is my favorite way to do this show. Mike, welcome to Operation Tango Romeo, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. It is awesome. Uh, You did the drive. You're not the first to make the drive, but it's always uh, quite an honor when somebody decides to hop in their car and drive from Edmonton to Smokotoks. So I do appreciate it, man. Um, let's start with how I got on your radar. There was a post by Sheila Gunn-Reed, co-owner of Rebel News, uh, that gave you a shout-out. And that was about child advocacy. So let's start there. What, what did she um, interview interview you about? What was that all about? Yeah. And um, uh, just bring the mic a little bit closer right, to you. Just bring this a little closer. All right. How I met Sheila. Um, basically, this all started a couple of years ago um, with a protest on the west side of Edmonton. Um, basically, what had happened was um, a guy by the name of Wade Steen. He was just released on bail for abusing an eight-year-old in his, in his mother's driveway uh, at knife point. He got arrested and then... Um, got released on bail right back into the house, so blocked down from the victim. And some people came together at first to try to nail this guy on a breach because he was standing outside of the front, you know, the front step and smoking cigarettes and watching the other house. So um, from there, there was a little bit of buzz that started off, and um, me and my fiance Sherry, uh, we, uh, we got on our radar, so we went and go check it out. By that point there, it had almost turned into almost a makeshift camp in front of this guy's house to keep tabs on him. And the original protest wanted to um, basically make a presence, make it known that they're there, that they're watching. And we, we came to a conclusion that there has to be a better way. So we started a petition for bail revocation. Now, there's three reasons you can get your bail revoked. One, if you're a flight risk. Two, uh, probability to reoffend, And three is the treasury ground, which is community concern. So we got it. We drafted a petition with a lawyer friend of ours. Uh, we ran around to the entire neighborhood, got thousands of signatures, presented it to the Crown, and his bail was revoked. And in jail, he stayed until his trial was over. And he was sentenced just a couple weeks ago to 17 years. It's amazing that we have somebody like lover or hater, uh, Tamara Leach, who gets thrown in the clank for mischief, which is the the lightest of possible charges that anybody can can get and has to fight tooth and nail to get bail. And yet a child rapist is out on bail uh, and ends up getting sentenced to, you said, 17 or 18 years? 17 years. 17 years. You know, but... 
while waiting for trial is just out on bail living his best life. Yeah, his mother was his uh closer his to bring the microphone. Sorry. Closer. His mother was his assurity. So, um yeah, he went right back into the same house. Um I didn't at the time I didn't think I would be really get, you know getting involved with this too much. Um just stay right on top of it like right. even closer. But just all bring right. it to bring it to you. There you go. So I didn't think I would be really getting into this. Um I guess it was after that first case, like that that first incident. Um I guess me and my fiance said, yeah, this is something we want to, we want to try to do. We want to get into the, involved with this. Um, and at first it started, we were, um, for lack of better words, trying to hunt these guys down. Uh, we were getting tips about where they were released and what neighborhoods. So we would flyer the neighborhood with 200, 300 notices. I've handed out thousands, um, to basically warn the community that this guy's been released in your neighborhood. Did you have any pushback or resistance from uh, your efforts? Uh, lots. Where uh, did that come from? Uh, two. One, you would get the, I'd call it the Karen, if you will, that didn't want to know about the bad guy in her neighborhood. Would, ra- would rather be blissfully ignorant. Yeah. You know, this is a nice neighborhood. This doesn't happen here. You know, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Yeah. The other one was we were kind of tipped off that these guys were kind of talking in dark room chats and bringing up kind of the organization that we had created. And uh, there was a little bit of that going on too. So that was one of the things we kind of had to worry about. Um, and then we just, yeah, we'd one after another, after another, and that's what we would do. We would find out where they are. We would petition the neighborhood either for bail revocation or sentencing. So right now, most of these guys, most of their crimes, um, they get released with very little, like, correction, um, they get sentenced with, like, penance, like six months probation, less than one year, time served, stuff like that. Um, So one of our sentencing petitions, we're asking for, you know, throw the book at these guys. So we've been successful with that. Uh, More bail revocation, and, uh, yeah, my big fish right now is a guy by the name of Curtis Pobrin. This guy is your horror movie pedophile, 100%. He's been diagnosed clinically as a pedophile. He's been offending in Edmonton since 94. 94, 96, 98, 2001. How old is this guy? This guy's probably in his late 40s. Okay. And he's been offending since 94. His name again? Curtis Pobrin. Where does he live? Uh, right now he's remanded. Okay, good place for him. Yeah, so we've had his bail denied many times. So this is this is the sickening part. It takes a bunch of citizens of their own volition to stomp their fists and stomp their feet and scream from the rooftops to throw the book at these guys. It's not just happening in the system. Like... Is there a parallel for how you would say these pedophiles are, are being treated by the legal system? Like, because they're not being treated like murderers. They're not being treated like um, fi- even like fire- drug, firearms offenders. Drug dealers or anything like that. I, the word pedophile, we'll just clear the record right now. It's a That's a medical diagnosis. So you yeah. have to actually be medically diagnosed as a pedophile. I know it's kind of the big old catch-all term. That's one thing my, my fiance gets pretty anal about. <laughs> All right. Child rapist. How about that? We can go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even some of these guys for child pornography, um, 
uh, attempted luring, stuff like that. Yeah. So how does the system treat them? Like what crime is sort of a parallel to these child sex offenders? Some of them misdemeanors. Oh, Jesus. We had one. Well, that, that's an American term, misdemeanor. Like uh, in, in Canada, there's, uh, uh, it's either a federal offense, which is uh, indictable. So it's either an indictable or a summary, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't really have misdemeanors, but uh, a summary offense would be the equivalent of a misdemeanor. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys are doing very little time. And then COVID, when that hit, they emptied the jail of them. A lot of these guys were, were released in, in mass. You know, I am not a QAnoner by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like some of what those folks are talking about is actually true, which is, like, how do you explain this other than there are pedophiles in power? Like, how do you explain this? Like, because most regular, normal, healthy human beings would say that a child sex crime is at the top of the list. Like, right at the top of the list, right up there with murder, maybe worse, top of the list. But it's not being dealt with like it's at the top of the list. And I do not know how to explain that other than there are people in power who are child sex offenders. Um, I can't really comment on that. I'm not. Well, I understand that it's speculation, but how else do you possibly explain the... um, because this is rampant. I've had uh, uh, Craig Sawman Sawyer on, a SEAL Team 6 guy. And he's adamant that that is the case. I don't know how else you could explain it. Like, I would love to have somebody explain to me how they get off so lately if there's not uh, child sex offenders in the system at the top. A lot of it's our judicial system. I mean, most of the, like these guys, and I always say it, they don't take lives, but they ruin right lives. They yeah. 100% ruin lives. Yeah. And they will, um, you know, people, they will affect people for the rest of their life. So we had, like, like I said, Curtis Bulber and this guy literally gets released on bail and kidnapped two kids. And some do take lives, you know, uh, that end up kidnapping and, and keeping them as sex slaves for a while. And it's like, well, what am I going to do here? Like this, uh, here's a walk and talk and witness. And then they kill him. The whole culture is is weird around all of this, and then it's, I mean, the best thing that could have happened was Epstein getting caught, because it really shined a light to a lot of what's going on. Well, and th- that adds again to the theory that um, oh shit, my com- computer's running low. Hang on, just a second. Pause. Sorry, audio audience. I had to plug in the computer, forgot that it was running on battery. But it, the, the fact that Epstein and Gazelle, were, 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 or Glane or whatever her name is, Maxwell, are both, um, well, one's dead, but they both got prosecuted, both got convicted. And yet, where's the list of the 100-plus people that, that um, visited Sex Offender Island? Okay. You know, that, that list isn't coming out, which means it's being protected, which means there's no way around it, it with my tiny little brain 
other than there's got to be people in politics, in the courts, in the Supreme Court, somewhere. There's got to be people that are saying, I'm going to protect these sex offenders. I mean, that's definitely a possibility. Um, it is a systematic problem. They, I mean, you see these guys and they get off, they get off, they get off again. And they, they, these, are the, these are the people that prey on our communities. These are the people that are out there at night that you should have, you should be worried about. Just bring your whole chair closer in here. Keep, keep drifting away from the mic. Sorry. Um, so we're, yeah, like we're really committed to basically also changing laws. Right now, one of our big federal petitions right now are to um, change laws uh, in regards to distances from playgrounds and schools that these guys can be while on bail. Right now, there's nothing. So we're asking for mandatory distances. Uh, and then we're looking at a graduated system for repeat offenders, better monitoring. And um, eventually, down the road, we would be looking at some kind of a public registry. There is one in Canada. There is a registry, but it's not public. Then um, what's the point of it? Internal use. Yeah, internal to who? Just law enforcement? Law enforcement, the feds, you name it. So not useful. Not to the general public. Yeah. And there was a case that we're working with a family out of Hinton where the dad was away working. They had just moved into a brand new apartment and he came a week later back, back, back in and the mother and child were missing and they were found dead in the apartment down the, down the hallway. The guy that did it was on the registry. They had no clue. Yeah. So we're, our organization's working with that organization's called Noah's Law uh, to get signatures to so that he's lobbying to try to get the registry made public. Even in academia, child sex crimes is getting legitimized. Something that I never thought would be possible, but we were warned of this at least five years ago that I remember. Maybe even ten years ago, people would start talking about how in academia... Um, it's getting trivialized, like it's not that big of a deal. And sex, um, child sex predators are being called minor attracted people to legitimize it. Twitter, to, Twitter just banned groomer three weeks ago. Banned the, the word groomer. So how, what, we know what my theory is. Why do you think that we're getting more and more we're getting pushed to accept child sex offenders as, ah, it's not so bad. Why do you think that is? What's your theory? My theory. Uh, my theory is that the rot runs all the way up. It has to. Um, a lot of it could be, you know, the, the system going woke. It could be that, you know, they're trying to, to sway public opinion on this stuff. Uh, most of the stuff is a medical diagnosis. And I understand that these people, um, the desire is there when it comes to this. It, it is, you know, it's, it's, they have something, you know, they have something wrong in their head that this is what they're attracted to. This is what they want. My issue is someone acting on it. So you, you know, you've got psychiatrists and you've got social workers out there that are trying to justify, Oh, you know, it's a medical condition. It's a medical condition. I'm like, I understand that. I also understand that it's a difference between, you know, acting on it and not. And it is, the system is, is very broken and 
the like right now the the worst one of the worst things that we're seeing we're seeing a lot right now of online online grooming um a lot of stuff through the internet right now um the kids being at home throughout the pandemic the 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 online abuse and stuff like that it just skyrocketed i'm dealing with a he's a friend of mine um his oldest son is a victim of online grooming and it was through video games He's playing online video games. Well, it's it's fish in a barrel. It's exactly. It's he he met these guys online, and then what they did is then they asked him to go to a different app because when you're playing Call of Duty or whatever it is, you can't you know there's there's only voice transfer. There's no files. There's no images or nothing like that. And what these guys will do is they will tell you to go to another platform. From there, that's when they're going to ask for images and stuff like that. Um, it was it was my buddy's son's teacher that uh, informed him about this behavior, stuff that was going on with a, a chat between the students. And then, yeah, we we checked it all out. And, yeah, he had met these guys online. They had he has a, The son has a group chat with students, and he had added these guys from the Internet onto that group chat. And then they were asking for images and all this weird stuff and posting inappropriate material. And uh, that's how that's how they do it. There's other organizations out there trying to catch these child sex offenders. Um, sometimes it goes a little sideways. Uh, didn't creep catchers get into do, into trouble? I you're talking about the guys that like do baiting. Yeah, yeah. I am a, I am not a fan of that, uh, mainly because it won't stick. Um, well, it seems like baiting is what they're doing for. Um, a child uh, veterans for child rescue out of the states with Craig Sawyer. So, uh, have you seen the documentary Contraland? Yeah, yeah, right. So that's baiting. You know, they they put it out there on the interweb, um, and hands would go up immediately, <laughs> saying, "Yeah, I want me some of that." Uh, so they have the address, they have the house, they have the camera set up, they have uh, law enforcement on standby, and the uh, the Johns show up. You know, and then they make sure that they say enough that, uh, I mean, they're already convicted before they walk in the door, you know, because of the, all the communications, like they're already sunk, but, uh, they, they get them talking a little bit more to make, you know, it's like, okay, you, you've actually walked through the door, (laughs) you're here to rape a kid and, um, and they get them to, uh, uh, confess even more. But so, I mean, they're, they're, I don't know where the line is between entrapment that's what I was getting at. The issue is, is that, but it did stick. Like these, these people are all in jail that Craig's caught. Okay, I know. Like for our system in Canada, any good lawyer would get you off that. Because it's one thing to, um, if the person's not real, it's difficult to make a conviction. And that's that's how they that's the angle they're going to use. Well, I. The law for prostitution, and I'm so out of date. I, I knew the criminal code in 2006, okay? So I'm sure lots of things have changed. But I knew the 2006 uh, criminal code quite well because that was um, uh, what I took in college. But, um, oh, that must have been the 96 criminal code. <laughs> I'm uh, still off by a decade. So a million years ago, I knew the criminal code. But um, prostitution, you, you're not... Um, convicted for having sex for money it's communication for the purposes of yeah is how it used to be anyway 
And, uh, and they stopped doing that because a lot of that was found to be entrapment when mm. it was the officer on the side of the road. You really got to get stay, stay closer to it. So when it was the officer on the side of the road, yeah. a lot of it was deemed entrapment. And it was it was one one case was falling apart after another and after another. Um, a lot of the guys, what they're doing online with this is mainly for exposure. Um, they're they're really trying to just you know point these guys out and let society deal with them. Some of them too are just doing it for clicks. They're protected at every level. It seems like even in the prisons, they're. Um they're looked after like they're they're tucked away to make sure that they're not in the general population well that's for their own safety for their yeah not not sure how i feel about that i mean <laughs> i'm i'm not i mean i'm not advocating for any kind of vigilante justice i'm not you know uh, these people we committed crime at the same time you know they're locked away and i mean they should be per- so- you know, safe. What, what's your driver? Do you have a family member that uh, has uh, been a victim of, of sexual abuse or like, do you get just got kids yourself or is it? Like- no, no. Uh, Sherry and I don't, uh, we don't have kids. Um, it's just not in the cards, but um, she's a survivor herself and our board of directors, a lot of them are survivors. Our president's dealing right now with her court case. Uh, she, uh, she's involved with her oldest daughter that was abused by her ex. And that case is still pending right now. So we're helping her go through that. So it is it is mainly survivors. It is mainly people that have experienced this in one way or another, either through childhood trauma, uh, current current situations, stuff with their children. And our, our inbox is filling up. It's filling up and filling up. And the stories we're getting and... I wasn't like I said at first. I I didn't know I would I would be really doing this, and then I just ended up being emotionally involved. And the the stories you hear and the like the abuse that's out there and the situations. I mean, it, it hits you and hits well, you. You really can't hard. unsee it. No, and you you know we had the one that hit me the hardest by far was a guy in Saint Albert, which is a community north of Edmonton. Um, he was a friend of the mother. And the mother walked in on him and his and uh, the four year old daughter, and she immediately called the cops. And he was he was arrested, put on bail across the street. He would walk up and down the street, waving at the little girl, doing all that you know, getting you know, watching her at the park and stuff like that. Uh, our organization at first, like we went there to do a street protest. And eventually we made enough noise that they changed his bail conditions and he was not allowed into that city. And you get no news coverage doing this? Oh, outside of our, our some of our, our friendlier ones. <laughs> so who's friendly to you? Uh, our When we started off, we, we emailed Rebel News right off the bat. And uh, Sheila came and her being a mother herself, um, she saw what we were doing. She I think our first event she came to is. I got 40 other bikers together and we stood outside of a guy's house while the victim um, basically confronted her abuser, who was a foster parent. Uh, that made a little bit of waves. But eventually from there, six months, eight months down the road, the group, the original group that we started off as kind of splintered off to go in two different directions. We found that it would be better to go more towards the end of advocacy help with court cases, help with paperwork, um, 
because we, we just couldn't keep up. Like, I mean, we were both have, you know, Sherry and I both have day jobs and stuff like that. And so does everyone else on our board, but we, we found that we could do more good by helping out on the logistic side, helping people like some people will contact us and won't even know how to charge someone. Um, in Canada, we have no statute of limitations. So we tell people, I'm like, if this happened 15, 20 years ago, charge them. You can very well do that. And it was really just us kind of developing the system from there. And I mean, COVID, a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse and numbers are up 150% from kids being at home. I was talking to a teacher not too who, te- who keeps track of those numbers. Where are those numbers coming uh, those from? Those are stats can, I think. Stats can? Yeah. And um from the from the from the numbers going up and I was talking to a teacher a couple of weeks ago and he we both agreed that I mean a lot of these kids getting out of their hell it was to go to school. It was to interact with other kids, it was to talk to teachers and principals and stuff like that, and they were the first ones to raise the red flag. And now Kids being at home, they don't get that outlet. A lot of parents wouldn't let the kids leave the house. And they're stuck at home all day in their hell. And that's why we have such high cases of child suicide and mental illness and all that jazz. Every mental health provider I know that uh, deals with kids are completely overrun, like they've never been before. Um, And yet, when you point out, hey, the lockdowns actually have a negative effect too, you are screamed at, um, called names, completely attacked just for saying, oh, by the way, there was also a downside. The best you can get out of some people is, but it was worth it. We didn't have a choice. And there's just no compassion whatsoever for the, the depression, the anxiety, the suicides. What you get is suck it up buttercup and what's your problem? And you got to do your part it's unbelievable. There's no I, no empathy at all. My personal take on all of that was the lockdowns were literally probably one of the largest, most detrimental events in child health in history. Probably one of the greatest mistakes that as a society we did towards their health. And it's coming out more and more now that it was knowingly done in the face of the science, not based on science, but against the science, that uh, these public officials knew full well that documents like the Great Barrington Declaration are authentic and real and credible as can be, completely ignored. Complete, so the follow the science was actually ignore the science because the science said don't do lockdowns. That's what the science said. Instead, we came up with all kinds of uh, theories that were treated as facts that these officials knew full well were false. Yeah, a lot of it ended up being public opinion. Yeah. And it was, you know, polls. Um, Like I said, that's my, my two cents on it. But I, just from what we've seen, online abuse, uh, a lot of the grooming stuff that we're seeing now online, I mean, this all happened from kids staying at home, looking at screens. I had a meeting, and I would like your advice on if you think this is the um, one of the ways to go to try to deal with what's going on with child sex crimes. 
because it just doesn't get the attention that it should. So I had a meeting with the mayor of Okotoks, Tanya Thorne, and the idea was, and I got it from Paul Brandt, actually, who sat in that chair that you're sitting in. Um, he's a huge child protection advocate, oh, right? Yeah. So I sat down with, with Tanya saying, so the RCMP worked for us, for the municipality. On uh, they're, the ne- they're the number one line item for the budget for the town of Okotoks. So don't we get to say where, where their efforts go and where their focus goes? I mean, they work for us. So on these quarterly reports, have you ever asked them about uh, their efforts towards child sex trafficking? And she's like, actually, I've not asked that question. Well, shouldn't we? You know, how is this not the top line item? Because there are our biggest um, part of our tax budget goes to law enforcement. Well, they work for us. So... When somebody works for you, for you, you have metrics. You have, here's the goals that I want you to achieve because uh, you work for me. You're our con- you contract to us. Here's the expectations. Standard stuff. Um, so what I push for, and I don't know if she's going to do anything with it. I've got my fingers crossed. I'll do a follow-up with her and see if there, there is anything, any forward movement. But every time she, te- she, she talks with whoever the head of the RCP is here in Okotoks, uh, my ask was to have that as question number one every quarter. Because if we think that in the sleepy town of uh, Okotoks that there's no child sex trafficking, your head is up your ass. The child sex trafficking is between 38 and $50 billion a year just in the U.S. alone. It happens everywhere. It happens in every major city. It every happens... Country, every country, every continent. Everywhere. The... Th- a lot of it, and I mean, we were kind of running into this resistance too when we were starting, is people don't want to talk about it. People do not want to talk about this. They want to they want to act like everything's fine in their sleepy little town and their bad things don't happen. And they're happy and contempt in their bliss. And they they never want to admit that there's, that, like I said, the bad thing is outside. And yet it happens in the suburbs. It could be happening right across the street from you. Um, and and does all the time. There there are cases, a fairly famous case, uh, recently upper middle class um, uh, people, uh, enough that they can have a nanny in the house all day. And when they come home from work, it's like, geez, my kids aren't quite right. What's uh, what's going on? Maybe they're not getting along with the nanny. They didn't know, so they set up a bunch of cameras. What it turned out is while the parents are away at work, uh, the kids are getting raped for money. And the um, the nanny was pimping them out somewhere on the dark web or however you do it. Johns were coming and going and raping their kids for money all day long while these uh, upper middle class white collar parents were out at work. And I think a, a part of the cognitive dissonance when it comes to child sex crimes is people don't want to take responsibility for it. They don't want to believe that the threat is out there because they don't know how to protect their kids. So it's just easier to to not face it at all. Agreed. Um, I'll, yeah, like I said, it's it's a lot of it is just it's just keeping those blinders up, not focus, you know, not paying attention. You know, oh, this one happened to my kids. This one happened to my family. This is this is for you know this happens in either the big cities or out in the rurals or something like that. And of course, it won't ever happen to my child. And 
that's 90% of the problem. Part of it is, is the language that we use. Um, when I was in Yugoslavia, they called it a ethnic cleansing, which is a euphemism for genocide. I don't think most people understand what ethnic cleansing is, that it's genocide. It, it was a political uh, term that was just invented by, <laughs> by the UN and, and Canada um, so that they don't have to deal with what it actually is. And it's the same with child sex crimes. When people hear um, human trafficking, that's already a euphemism because it, it's, uh, it's not saying what it actually is, which is raping children for money, paying to rape children. That's what human trafficking is. And child, and, uh, child sex trafficking, that's what, that's what that is. Raping children for money. So we have to call it for what it is. Um, when Theo Fleury first started his speaking uh, engagements, uh, he would say sexual assault or other things because he didn't, he didn't want to say it himself of what happened to him. He doesn't do that anymore. He goes, I was raped 150 times by my coach because if you don't use the accurate language, our, our minds just don't engage with the, with, with the truth. Like you got to slap like that, slap ourselves in the face with the truth, cold bucket of water kind of stuff. You got to be blunt. You got to be blunt. You just tell it as it is. And that's, I mean, with all the stuff I've seen and even when it comes to stuff I've dealt with the military with some, a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of coworkers and friends and like that who have committed suicide over the years and, and, um, you know, some of that dark stuff. I mean, I just, I'm just blunt about it. You tell it for what it is. It helps me deal with it. Stuff like this. I just, every time I, you know, I hear cases from children, from adults who were abused, I just, I give it to me straight give it to me blunt it's it's my coping mechanism and i feel it it helps just to put it out there so let's let's explore the downstream effects of child sexual trauma and fill in any blanks that i miss here sure when we look at drug addiction homelessness or drug addicted homelessness um the prison population this is all chocked full of people with childhood sexual trauma, would you agree? Correlation, 100%. Um, anxiety cases, depression, suicide, alcoholism, drug use. Um, uh, it's A lot of it is, is to do with abuse. A so, lot of it has to do with people that have been abused and abused and abused and abused. Um, they'll either self-medicate or can't get the kind of medication that they need. Sexual dysfunction in, in, in our intimate relationships you know, being able to, to let your hair down and actually enjoy sex, that's gone. It, you, how would I say it? You become numb to it all. And it affects, um, affects you all the way deep down. And people, people with trauma, it will affect them for the rest of their life. Some people say, you know, it took me 10, 15 years to get over it. Those demons never leave. Yeah, you don't really get over it. And, um, I mean, healing happens. Healing does happen, and uh, it, it's, it's a bit of a slap in the face for, uh, for you when I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but uh, or cold water rather. But uh, my longtime listening audience knows uh, I was molested from the age of seven to twelve by an older family member, 
and raped when I was 17 by uh, somebody who I thought was my friend. And what that does to a person's life, your reality gets turned on its head. Your, your moral compass, your idea of right and wrong, um, you, you don't know. You, you, like you, it, it just twists you up so bad that you don't know uh, right from wrong or how to act in a social situation or, in my case, how to treat women. And the carnage in the wake of that, of all the womanization that I did, you know, all the uh, indiscriminate sex with strangers, uh, all of it was a, was a result of that, trying to go, hey, look, I'm not gay. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't know that's what was happening when I was a kid, but that's exactly what it was. It was me not knowing what my sexuality was, any of it, right? All from childhood sexual trauma. It'll affect you in your relationships with the, you know, even social relationships, um, you know, um, matrimonial relationships. It'll affect the way you parent. Um, you know, you've had it, you've had it rough, and you're you're a victim of this abuse, and that's the at the end of the day, that's that's what you are, and it will affect you as a parent, one hundred percent. It makes you. I think good point is it will make you more vigilant. Uh, it'll make you more aware of those of of situations um, in regards like situations that are out there that this stuff does happen. Um, it had. As trauma as, as traumatic as it was for individuals, it has made you hyper aware of it. It has made you um, stronger as a person because you've you've gotten through it. You're more resilient, and it will affect the way that you you go forward in life. But it certainly changes my worldview, and is part of the reason that I've done so many episodes on child sex trafficking. Because if we can't put our kids as number one, like, what are we fucking doing? How do we not have our kids as top of the list? But we don't. As a society, we don't. We don't look after our kids. We don't protect our kids. And yet we have parents uh, absolutely adamant to make sure that their kids are wearing brand name clothing, that they're in every sport God ever created. Um, All these other things is, oh, my kids come first. My kids come first. And yet there's little to zero to to nothing for protecting them against child sex predators we'll we'll let them uh tick tock and game all day you know it's like well that's you know that's just how it is Uh uh-huh uh do you know that these video games are all live stream and (laughs) you know and this is where child sex predators roam you know and 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 it is spectacular how people well my kid's smarter than that there's there's nobody that's not susceptible to it because these people these predators are so committed they will spend two three years stalking a kid before they finally get him they'll groom them a, lo- a lot of cases that we're hearing is um one from last weekend actually um it was a girl that was groomed by her parents and then offered to her a family friend jesus christ and here know, in alberta in our, here in alberta and it uh, that one kind of hit me hard too. So we special place in hell. See, I I have no. I well, when she confronted her mother about it down the road, her mother said, "Oh, it wasn't that bad." Yeah, of course, that's what they do, right? And it's horrible. 
And, uh, you know, we, we told her that, you know, you can still press charges. So she's looking into that and she's, uh, we're going to help her out with that stuff. Uh, another one, um, right now also the trauma and trying to get help that little girl in St. Albert. Um, she's been on the year. She's been two years now since that event. And she's been on a waiting list to see a crisis management, uh, sorry, crisis uh, therapist for, you know, an abuse therapist. And two, two years, with two no years, help. no help. So we're at the point now where we're going to try and crowdfund to get her the help she needs because she's six now, but we know that this will affect her for the rest of her life. Of course. So we need to, we need to get her, we need her get her help now. I still remember this um, foster kid girl. <laughs> the, it's just so typical. The redheaded foster head, uh, uh, kid girl, you know, literally on, I, I went to a rural school, so we had the, the cheese wagon to go to school. And um, I, I just remember, I could see her face, you know, uh, she couldn't have been more than uh, 11 and she was hypersexualized. And even, uh, no, I was like 12 or 13. I knew what that meant. Like I was able to do the math as a child. I was able to do the math that, holy crap, she's totally getting molested at home. 100% her, her step parent or, um, foster parents are, are abusing this, this, this girl because she would be hypersexualized. Um, I can see it so clearly, you know, um, how is it that the rest of us don't? You know, that, that somehow society lets these kids slip through the cracks. I, I don't get it. Blissful ignorance. I think a lot of it is. I think, like I said, only, I would say only in the last few years has this stuff become easier and easier and easier to talk about. You see the trends moving online. You see, I'll use Epstein as the best example. Once he got caught, it was now it's, it became a little easier to talk about this stuff. More people were coming out of the woodwork. People that were silent for years were said, okay, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. And more people that come forward, the more people talk about it, less stigmatizes it and allows, allows the healing process to start. And more big voices uh, actually saying something like, uh, love him or hate him, Elon Musk has at least said something about it. You know, he said he's uh, made a couple of tweets about the Epstein guest list, mm-hmm. you know, but... I want to know who's on that damn list. You know, we like all we know for sure. Bill Clinton was, he actually went to that Island, uh, multiple times. Yeah. More than two dozen times while well, he didn't go there for, cause it had, you know, an extra nice beach. He went there to rape kids. And this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not QAnon. This happened. And we have the flight records. It's public domain. Like it happened. And yet he's walking around uh, having a good old time. I'm of the mindset that I would let um, Maxwell walk for the list. Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. You're free to go and give us the list. Yeah. But that, sadly, that'll never happen. No, and Epstein did not kill himself. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody has friends uh, that are corrections officers, but... Um, how that whole thing happened. It's impossible. The series of unfortunate events and the cameras that were off all of it. It's like, no, Epstein did not commit suicide. That is a physical impossibility. It did not happen. I would, I would, I would lean towards that. Yeah. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's uh it's an observation of the blatant facts. facts. 
you know, and if you know anything about security, anything about corrections, anatomy, you know, and especially um, high profile uh prisoners like he wasn't just joe blow the the cocaine dealer he was epstein (laughs) (laughs) you know so his layers of security would have been epic you know impenetrable and the he he was murdered straight up and uh god knows i silenced is more likely yeah and yeah it's um you know i i do i do this is my own personal view is i i think the rot works all the way up um, I'm hoping that in the future, more, more stuff will come out. More people are digging, more evidence is being found. Uh, you know, more servers are getting opened up, more, um, information's coming through that. I just feel it's a matter of time, you know, with enough digging and enough resources that, um, you know, this whole, this whole, experiment that we're living in when it comes to are you set up as a non-profit can people support you uh your work yeah yeah um so we can if you guys ever want to check us out uh we're survivor fighting for survivors fighting for change.org survivors fighting for change.org correction it's a dot ca dot ca all right yeah. survivors fighting for change dot ca yeah we got a facebook group we're on all the inst- we're on all the social medias you guys can come check us out if you guys have any questions uh, you can email us uh, stuff to do with historical stuff. We can help out uh, to deal with court cases. We can help out. Um, we're here to basically advocate for you and to help you out. It's not uncommon. People will message us and being, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm worried. I have, and then we can kind of walk you, talk you through it and help you where you need help. Um, we, because we are a lobbying group, because we're, we submitted petitions to change laws. We're not entitled to any kind of funding. Uh, we're not, a, we are just a registered nonprofit. So, I mean, we do do events and, and sell some merchandise and stuff like that, to, you know, cover the cost of gas, but um, yeah, we're out there. All right. And is there room to expand if uh, people want to come and physically volunteer and help you out? Uh are you, are you accepting applications? Absolutely. Online, there's an application form. If you, anybody wants to be out there volunteering, everybody wants to be part of this group, this network, and help us build out. Because at the end of the day, this is to help kids. This is to um, spread awareness. This is to do stigmatize. And this is to help with healing. Because there are so many victims out there and so many silent ones that we really do need to focus on destigmatizing this stuff. And having people come forward, facing their demons, we need to lock more of these guys up. The, you know, these guys that uh, we were dealing with one guy right now. He was a mortgage broker out in Spruce Grove. Pled guilty to abusing a family friend's two younger daughters. Six months probation. Pled guilty. And the family, because this guy has influence and money, the family was stigmatized. Was was called liars. You know, they were. You know, their whole friend circle disintegrated and there was a war going back and forth. And, oh, look, he pled guilty. Took six months probation for, you know, these girls will have, you know, these images and this experience for the rest of their lives. There was a realtor in my office that I knew wore a funny hat. That was his signature move. Well, he's been barred for life. Uh, I knew the cop that investigated because I went to college with him. Um, for child porn all over his computer, right? 
nobody liked this guy because he was such a dick. Um, you know, just an arrogant dick. But this was his big secret, you know, is that uh, he was a minor attracted person. He's a freaking pedo. I don't care if it's a clinical diagnosis or not. You know, um, dude got off on, on porn pictures of children. Um, these people got no place in society. I agree. Other than I mean, jail. They, jail or uh, sanitarium. I mean, I, tr- I think that getting rid of sanitariums was probably one of the biggest mistakes society ever made. Moving people on. You know, the, some of these people are dangerous to society, will offend again. If there was a way to fix them, you know, um, but you can't fix somebody who doesn't think there's anything wrong with them. No. I like, mean, if you think that, that, oh, this is just a normal thing, this is part of human history, this is uh, whatever the re- rationale is, we can't fix that. If, if you don't think you're doing something wrong, you can't fix that. You can't fix an alcoholic who doesn't think that uh, that person doesn't have a problem. You can't fix an abuser who doesn't think that they're an abuser. You can't fix a narcissist of any sort until they go, oh, shit, I'm a narcissist and I don't want to be one. A lot of it, too... It, I mean, some of these people, medication won't do anything. No. They, they can't be medicated. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what they're attracted to. And for the betterment of society, they, they, I, don't, I think some of these guys should not be part of society. I mean, we, we could, you know, like I said, they got, they got rid of sanitariums and it was, it was a mistake, in my opinion. Um, yes, there was abuse and all that stuff. But I mean, um, with I use Curtis as an example. This guy is offended since '94, again and again and again and again. I mean, I would his I name would, one more time. Curtis Poberan. Curtis Poberan. Remember that name, everybody. And I think this guy should be locked away. You know, do supervised visits or whatever. And he lives in the Edmonton area. Lives in the Edmonton area. He's currently remanded, but like I said, he serves six months at a time. He's out one year out again and again and again, and. It would be, I mean, to put them in a special facility where, you know, supervised outings and stuff like that would be better. I have an answer to my own question. I got a cousin, uh, same age as me. He'd been in trouble with the law since forever. Nothing ever bad, just uh, a nuisance to society. You know, uh, stealing stuff, stealing trucks, stealing a load of lumber. He's been in the paper a few times. Um, Dumb stuff, but, and annoying stuff. But uh, not actually hurting anybody. The amount of time that he spends in the clink, he's on and off, on and off, is the same as a child rapist who destroys lives. Absolutely. So somebody stealing a load of lumber, which is bad, (laughs) shouldn't do that, right? But somebody stealing a load of lumber worth probably $50,000 is treated the same as... A child rapist. I'll use a bigger fish. Some of the pastors that were locked up in Alberta due to the lockdown restrictions serve more time in jail than some of these abusers. Holy shit. That's a fact. That is 100% a fact. Let people pray during a pandemic. Open your church. And you go to jail. Longer than someone that abused children. I... Here's my take. Here's a, a take on that that I've never heard anybody say. I'm allowed to go skydiving. Nobody's going to say, "Well, that's risky behavior. You, you shouldn't do that." And it's like, no, we we can all choose. I'm not going to make you go skydiving. 
if you if you're like fuck that i'm not jumping out of a plane it's like whatever man i don't really care you don't want to assume the same risk but i like jumping out of a plane so i'm going to go do that same as my motorcycle it's dangerous as hell riding a, a motorcycle well i got one in the garage i'm not going to make you get one and say you have to have a motorcycle because we are allowed to assume risk in our lives I'm allowed to go camping. I'm allowed to go to back country where I might get eaten by a grizzly bear. I'm allowed to do these things because I'm a freaking adult that can make my own goddamn decisions about my own life. And yet, somebody wants to go to church, and, you know, maybe get them to sign a waiver or acknowledgement form or something like that, like you do for any other, if this is considered a risky activity because of COVID. Okay. It's a risky activity because of COVID. Fine. Sign a waiver. And away you go. And if you think that a face diaper is going to protect you, okay, wear your face diaper. I don't mind. If you think that's going to protect you, wear it. And then you're safe. You're good. Get your pokes. You're safe. You're good. That's what the government told us, so it's got to be true because the government never lies. (laughs) Ever. So let me assume whatever risk. I can assume it in every other part of my life. I can drive in rush hour traffic. I can ride a motorcycle. I can go bungee jumping. I can jump out of a plane, but I can't go to church church, because that's too risky. I can't make that decision for myself. According to who? According to the government. Exactly. Um, Because I've never heard it put that way before, but I I, I don't see the error in my logic. No, I mean, this... um, my personal view on all that stuff is that you're an adult. You've mitigated your own risks. You've done your own, you know, risk assessment that you should be able, you know, you should be able to live your life. And to, and I'll use church for instance, is, is, is some, some devout Christians and Catholics. I mean, that is part of their lives. That is a large enough part of their lives that it, it is worth the risk. Well, and and it didn't happen with Jews or Muslims. They didn't shut down mosques. No, they, they didn't did shut not. down synagogues. Correct. It was. I mean, what happened in Alberta was a tragedy. Yeah, well, and it was illegal. And I hope that it opened the eyes of the world to what can happen. Well, people think it uh, can't happen to them, or it's not going to affect them, or what's the big deal, and. That's the problem. That's how every huge bad thing in the world has ever happened. Apathy. Indifference. It's not from uh, uh, people with a rifle sticking it in your face making you do stuff. It's apathy and indifference. You know, going, well, it doesn't affect me, so I don't care. You know, that, that's, that's the problem. And, um, and it's so hypocritical, you know. Uh, people will paint me one way or the other and they're all going to be wrong because my wife knows who I am and, and I know who I am and that's about it, right? I'm not left. I'm not right. I'm something else. I'm purple, you know, and, um, but I'll get painted by, by just saying what I actually believe and that's wrong. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and you'll you'll be painted based on who you talk to. Yeah. Your views are your own. Mine are my own. But us having this conversation here, it might it, it, people's perception changes. One of the things I've really tried to do on the show is show people how to have 
by example, how to have tough conversations with people that have strongly opposing points of view without getting mad at each other. We're just having a chit chat. Just having a chit chat, you know. Um, but people take things personally. Like if you don't accept my point of view, then you don't accept me as a human being. Now that's an internal process. People aren't cognizant of this. They don't know that that's actually what's going on, but that's exactly what's going on. If you don't accept my point of view, you don't accept me. I feel rejected. That's like an attack on me. So I'm going to attack you. It's, it's, it's uh, the amygdala yeah. working. I, I noticed this outside of the nonprofit and the, um, um, the survivors fighting for change. Um, I do a lot of advocacy with veterans and I help with people transitioning out of regular force to get into the civilian world. Um, I've had, I've had those three uh, mental health check calls from guys. Um, I, I've been dealing a lot more with that stuff on top of this stuff. And right now, I mean, I've, I've lost some friends in the army just because of my views on something that um, the stuff that's going on politically and stuff like that. Most of them accept, you know, it's like, hey, Mike, you got a different opinion. I can respect that. But other guys will be like, no, you're wrong. And right now uh, with our with our other company, so myself and one of my Army buddies, we started a, uh, we started a honey company just out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Beaver County. And a couple of, you know, we got together one day. I bought a farm and in the basement of one of the outbuildings was a bunch of beekeeping equipment. We looked at each other and said, fuck it. Let's, let's make, do this. Let, let's let's have some bees. Yeah. So uh, Freedom Honey is what we called it, and it's our amateur beekeeping adventure. And one thing we do is we get a lot of our vet buddies out there, some guys dealing with issues, some guys dealing with PTSD, get them out to the farm, sit around, drink cheap beer, have a fire. So let's dig in on this a little bit. So I've had Matt uh, Stibben on, great guy, buddy of mine, uh, neat dude. Uh, and he's the founder of, of the chair, charitable status now, uh, beekeeping for veterans. Nice. He's out of uh, the GTA. And there are more than a few veteran organizations around beekeeping. Explain this to us. Like, I, I think I get it. But uh, how does beekeeping help people with PTSD and veteran transition and whatnot? What's how's this look? Well, for, for us, it was just a kind of a, at first it was a bit of a, you know, I would say it was just a venture. Let's try this. I've never done this before. I don't know anything. I bought beekeeping for dummies. I have it on the dash of my truck and Pedro, my business partner has no idea either. And so we said, screw it, let's try it. And then because we're vet run and it was kind of just people started following us on Facebook and Twitter and just seeing our hilarious videos of us having no clue what we're doing. Um, you know, with some support from some media types and stuff like that too, it would just, it became a thing. Um, we're, you know, we're in our second year now, we're still waiting for our hives to completely fill up before we start harvesting. And, um, the support from veterans groups from, you know, average Joe, they're like, Hey man, when, when you get honey, let me know. I'll be, I'll be your first customer. I'm like, well, there's a big line. There's a big list before you, <laughs> but, uh, can't keep up to demand. Well, never, I'm getting emails constantly. Um, and it was just a way, just literally just was a way to hang out with my friends and drink cheap beer. So the actual act of beekeeping, 
what I've been told is that it's mindfulness because you have to watch your personal energy, which is a lot like equine therapy. That is the magic of equine therapy. It it gives you a level of self-awareness that you don't otherwise have as far as being aware of your energy level and your frequency. So with the bees, what I keep being told is that if you don't find a way to center yourself, you're going to get the shit stung out of you. Yeah, they they almost feel the energy. Mm. Um, some people are brave enough to, you know, no suit. They'll go shove their hands in there. And I mean, that's cool if you want to do that, <laughs> but, um, you're not doing the bee beard yet. No, no. The, the bee beard, uh, was like, a, we'll make that the 10 year anniversary goal. Okay. Um, okay. you know, like I said, we're super low budget. Like Pedro bought the cheapest beekeeping suit he could on Amazon and it wasn't really built for a Pedro. So yeah, the seams opened up, the bees got in it. and I'd go to Princess Auto and get a painting suit. That might do it. No, actually wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> Maybe next time. But uh, like I said, he's learned the hard way about the do's and do not do's about beekeeping. Yeah. I always kind of... Well, just, I still got the Army Issue uh, net hat. Good. You know, a mosquito hat. That'd probably help out. Comes in handy when you live in a swamp. Yeah, it does. <laughs> But, uh, no, it, it's just, a, like I said, it was a way for me and my army buddies to get together. And you do get some therapy out of it. When you go down there and, you know, you're playing around in the apiary, you know, you're you're checking them out and stuff like that. It really does ground you. Well, what I would suggest is uh, hooking up with people like my buddy Mattis and other veteran organizations that I know of in the States and uh, explore a little bit more of the therapy side of it because I think there's probably a bigger bag of goodies there than than you may be aware of. Absolutely. We've, yeah, the nice thing in Alberta, the beekeeping community is fantastic. Um, A lot of people we've met, a lot of people supporting us. Any questions, they're like, hey, text me, let me, call me, whatever. If you need advice, if if you need something, I was like, we're more than happy to help you out. Buddy of mine, uh, uh, fish cop buddy, lives in a neighborhood over. He uh, makes his own queen bees. Do you guys do that? How the hell do you make a bee? <laughs> that, that's some god stuff going on there. Yeah, it's it's all in the it's all in the breeding. Um, it's kind of a long story. Um, I'm not exactly an expert on that, but it's because um, the 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 bees. If there's a queen that's absent, they'll create a new queen. Okay. Um, and a queen is the fully developed version of a bee. Um, has different. Uh, it's a female that has different organs than a worker bee. Um, and it's basically depending on diet when it's in larval stage depends on where it um, how it develops. Either be a, a worker or a queen. So if you keep removing the queens, they'll keep making new ones. And that's when you get to like play with the different genetics and stuff like that. It is witchcraft when you get to that point. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And uh, are you, are you farming just the honey? Like how how much are are you doing with product? Uh, are you what's that uh, the black chunky stuff that uh, people uh, cropless? Oh yeah, no, we don't we don't tackle with that right now. We're I think just, that's 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 probably the best revenue stream is the cropless. Right now, it's we're gonna get trying to get some honey. And we're gonna look at trying to make some powdered honey, so I can so I can help my army buddies out when they're in the field, put it in their nice. coffee. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's it's one step at a time. But this is just like I said, if you guys want to check us out, we're on Facebook at Freedom Honey. Uh, Are you gonna make mead? Um, yeah, I'm down with fermented bee spit. That's pretty good. <laughs> and 
I don't know. I don't. I think. I mean, Pedro. I mean, I think I'll stick with the the cheap beer for now. You know, the keeping Pedro fed on that is uh, it's not cheap. So, uh, how do people uh, connect with you with uh, Freedom Honey and uh, support you? Twitter uh, at the Freedom Honey. Um, trigger warning gets a little spicy on that one. Uh, but <laughs> Facebook, I mean, you guys can spicy. message us. You can DM us um, and kind of just follow our amateur beekeeping adventure. Like I said, super, super amateurs. We've made a ton of mistakes. We'll probably keep making mistakes, but it's for a good cause. Because anything we make, like our, our end goal is that, you know, once we actually get some revenue coming in, we're just going to donate most of the proceeds to the uh, Edmonton Veterans Food Bank. The, the Veterans Association Food Bank in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Good organization. I'm friends with uh, the Calgary operation here. Well, okay. with both, there's two Veterans Food Banks uh, down here. I'm friends with both of them. But, uh, yeah, Marie is great, and she's given us a home for our arm wrestling club. Nice. Which is awesome. Arm um, wrestling club. <laughs> yeah. Got an arm wrestling club. We got, we, we got pros. We got a Canadian chap in our club. That's funny. And uh, uh, the, the, the sense of community that I've found with arm wrestling is unlike anywhere else I've ever found, um, mostly because there's no ego, because you can't. If you can't uh, control your ego, you can't arm wrestle, because you will have your ass handed to you by somebody half your size. And if you can't handle that, you can't arm wrestle, you know, because people want to come in and, and, and uh, see if they're the biggest and the best. Well, you're not. I guarantee you're not. That's one of those <laughs> things where it's all leverage, not size. <laughs> well, it's, it's more than that. It's years of conditioning is what it is. Technique. Um, well, about 20%, you okay. know, uh, uh, but uh, the rest is specialty muscle and oh, okay. connective tissue that uh, you can't get by not arm wrestling. <laughs> So uh, people show up, they get humbled in a hurry. And if you cannot be humbled, you cannot be an arm wrestler. I hear my tonight is screaming right now. He's <laughs> just talking about that. We, uh, as soon as you say tonight is mine lights up. Yeah. 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 Basically I'm, I'm like, nope, nope, no, nope, that wouldn't, no, nope, that wouldn't happen. But um, I mean, it's uh, right now with freedom honey, we're, we're dealing with um, the big thing we're dealing with right now is my, my, my business partner, Pedro. There you go. Um, He's uh, he's three days away from being booted out of the army because of the mandates. Not okay. So he's what tr- what trade is uh, Pedro? He's a vehicle tech like I was. Yeah. Um. He's got about seven years in. I met him when I was a master corporal, and he was just a, a young apprentice, and we just became friends. And uh, he's done about seven years in, eight years almost. And he's like I said, three days. He's out. He chose not to get the vaccine for his own reasons, and I don't. You know, that's that's his. That's his thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, poor guy's been, he's been, he's been through the ringer, you know, emotionally because of it. Like uh, in November, they were taken out of Wainwright in the training area and basically, I would, lack a better word, put on house arrest. You know, they could leave for whatever, but at the end of the day, they weren't allowed on base. They'd call you to check in. You'd have to come in and check in. And it was just one paperwork after paperwork after paperwork until his dismissal. And absolutely no science to back up to justify it. Zero. There's none. A lot of it, too, was the fact that, I mean, even if tomorrow they dropped the mandate, if tomorrow they said, no, you're good to go, he'd still leave. And Well, his career's over anyway. I talked to a guy with a storied career, like the super soldier kind, you know, uh, er- Free fall commando, all of it, all the high speed, low drag courses. Twenty three years in, two years from away from pension, and he says, 
even if I caved right now and got my jabby jabs, my career's over anyway. Like, I'm done. I'm persona non grata here. Exactly. They know who you are. They know who you are. I'm not going to be forgiven. I will never have... Um, like any of the new courses, any of this, um, the good postings. No, I will be treated like shit until the end of my, even if I got the jab today, just the fact that I resisted at all and my career is ended. It's over. I think that's where I get the biggest, that's where, that's where I have the biggest issue with it as well. I have issues with them, how they treated the, how they treated these troops. I mean, these are your friends. These are your coworkers. Pedro's been pretty lucky that his immediate chain of command has been very understanding and very supportive. And it all comes from the top brass down. But at it's like you said, some some guys have horror stories about, you know, the some of the stuff that they had to go through, you know, the belittlement, you know, the name calling and all that stuff. Even from our own chief of defense staff. And like like you said, they're the persona non grata. The, even if they went back into tomorrow, they will be stigmatized for the rest of their career as those who resisted. Yeah, they'll, they'll be punished. Yeah, it, either, either you know, directly or indirectly. Even then, even if you're not, you're always going to have that in your conscience. Am I being treated different because I'm one of these guys or girls? Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that... Um, and we would never tolerate this with any with with anything else with our choice of religion because religion is a choice. These guys are getting five F releases, and for people that don't know, five F release is basically you are no longer fit to be in the army. Yeah, a dishonorable discharge means that you are entitled to nothing: no veterans benefits, no veteran status, uh, no help, no therapy, no pension, no nothing. It's uh, it's actually it's, it's like you never served at all. Uh, an actual dishonorable discharge is basically equivalent to a crime. Yeah, you can never work for the government. You lose all your benefits. A five F's is because they were talking about they were considering dishonorable discharge. They were threatening guys with it. Yeah, and that's where and a lot of guys like they no security clearance, nope, no government job, no pension, no VA benefits. You're out. Yeah, and a five F. The nice thing with is, is you still are entitled to that stuff. They just, it's just basically, nope, we don't need you anymore. Here you go. And, uh, it's a total betrayal. And, you know, we're talking about people with, uh, I mean, I don't care if it's six months service, but, uh, people with 20, 30 year service and this is how they're getting treated. I mean, we had, I had no issues getting, you know, when we did the, you know, the needle parade back in the day. When we that didn't come joined. out right. I do care if you have six months service. What I meant was, is like, uh, serving is serving, whether it was six months or six years or 20 years, like it, it's all in the same level. That's what I meant to say. I heard, then I heard myself I was like, Oh no, that, that came out wrong. No, it, it's, it's the choice to serve. Yeah. And right now recruiting numbers are record low. Nobody wants to join the army. Yeah. Um, from what I'm hearing from a lot of my friends and stuff like that, the, the, when COVID hit the, a lot of the environment changed at work. You know, they're still wearing masks. They're, you know, a lot of the stuff is still... Every federal building, um, uh, the cadet corps are still wearing masks. Nowhere else in society, but cadet corps. Um, uh, the Museum of the Regiments, because it's under federal, right? So they're, they're all masked up. You can go to the hockey game. You, you can go to a baseball game. You can be packed in thousands of people in the same room. But at the museum, you got to wear a mask. Now, you're working at a shop in an army base. You have to wear a mask in the middle of a hangar. 
Yeah, it's uh, it it is obedience, not science. And that's where that's where Pedro had his biggest issue with. He said, "If they would have asked nicely, I probably would have gotten it." Yeah, and he's like, "The second you started threatening me, then I had issues." Yeah, and you know, he stuck to his guns, and you know, he didn't cave, and he's he's adamant about this is what he wanted to do, and I give him full respect for for sticking to his guns for for literally, you know through the pressure from the media, from his chain of command, from society and everything like that, he's like, nope. In Canadian law, these mandates are assault. When you threaten somebody with their career, um, it's assault. It's illegal. But we're doing it anyway. I'm hearing from vets that are like, Mike, I wouldn't have, but I have kids to feed. Yeah, exactly. That's coercion. That's not a choice. Who are you to put someone under that kind of stress? I mean, the Army is stressful as it is. Every four to six months, as sad as it is, but this is how I deal with it. I mean, I'm getting notices of guys that I've worked with and friends of mine that, how, how would I say it, um, decided that um, Liz, living wasn't for everyone. That committed, that died by suicide. Yeah. I'm, I'm Every four to six months, another buddy. Yeah. And a lot of, and, you know, military services. I see, it, I see it every week on the Facebook groups or somebody. Yeah. And military service is very difficult. Um, this, a lot of it. Outside of the, the some of the physical and some of that stuff, but it's the stress. You don't realize how much of a stress it is on your personal life. You have um, you don't know where you're going to be at. Um, I don't, you know, birthday parties and wedding anniversaries. Most of those are out the window. You don't know when you're back. You don't know when you're gone. You don't know when you'll leave again. Well, every time you hear something on the news about Russia or China, you're like, oh, is this it? Am I, you know, am I getting deployed to the big one? We're getting the phone call next week. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And that was my biggest issue when I was in was the, um, the not straightforwardness, like the unable to tell me exactly what was happening. Uh, I know, you know, they say stay in your arcs, you know, all you need to know is this, but sometimes if you don't see the bigger picture, will you stress? Because what am I going to do? What am I going to tell my significant other? What am I going to tell my kids? Hey, I'm, I'm leaving for a while. Daddy will be home. Eventually. Uh, eventually, at some point. Yeah. And it's very hard on relationships. Like like I said, there's it's not uncommon to have a sergeant or a warrant. That's, you know, three ex-wives. Yep. And it's 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 hard on, and it's hard, it's the stress. Some of the super soldiers of my day are um, crawled into a bottle and never came out. You know, I'm trying to find them, to connect with them, to see if I can coach them out of the bottle. Um, but we're talking about the people that were at the top of the food chain that everybody respected and or feared or both. Um, and they're destroyed. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, their lives are destroyed. Um, and those are the ones that are still alive. You yeah. know, uh, others that have uh, died by suicide. Pedro, from being, once he was kicked off base, basically, and since November, sitting at home, you know, he, he started he started going through some mental issues. You know, it was basically kind of a forced depression because I don't know if I'm, they're going to call me. I don't know if these mandates are going to drop. I don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. It's all up politics and stuff like that. So thank God he's had his, between the, the bees and he, he keeps chickens. Yeah, chickens keep, are cool. Chickens are cool. And he, bees eat, or chickens eat bees. The dead ones. <laughs> you can feed your dead bees to the chickens. But um, the nice thing is that he's had, he's, like he is, his chicken coop is out of this world. I could use it as a hunting camp at this point. 
Yeah. Put me in there with a six pack of banquets and I'd be set. <laughs> and, uh, he's, like I said, he's keeping busy, but, um, a lot of guys, yeah, they went into that funk and, um, he's, I think he's realized now that three days to go that, you know, game over, he's getting his life together. He's looking forward to the future because he agrees that even if they drop the mandate tomorrow, he'd be out. Well, if anybody's looking for a good mechanic, Pedro's looking for a job. <laughs> He's out there. He's out there. He's out there. All right, brother. I think we're about there. We're at an hour, hour and a quarter, and I think we've covered most of it. Anything we're missing? No, just uh, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Uh, it was nice to talk about, uh, you know, our nonprofit dealing with victims of child sexual abuse. Um, if you guys, like I said, check us out at uh, survivorsfightingforchange.ca. Uh, always looking for volunteers. If you guys want to get involved, terrific. Just sign up. Send us an email. Uh, Freedom Honey, check us out on Facebook, Twitter at the Freedom Honey, um, and follow Pedro and I um, ongoing adventures in beekeeping. Hundred percent. Thanks so much for making the drive, uh, Mike. You know it's great, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to provide a little bit of a platform for you to uh, get the messages out there about the amazing work that you're doing. I mean, you put in serious effort and time to help others you're absolutely dedicated to community and uh, god bless you for it thank you you're listening to operation tango romeo the trauma recovery podcast for veterans first responders and their families thank you for tuning in hello my friends thank you for sharing your time with me today i hope you found value in today's episode if you found this episode helpful healing or informative please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels because sharing is caring. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels because sharing is caring. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing or informative, Please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.